This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. You're listening to the Knowledge at Wharton podcast. I'm Rachel Kipp, Associate Editorial Director of the Knowledge at Wharton website. We're here with Wharton Healthcare Management Professor Atul Gupta to talk a little bit about some of his recent research. Thanks for being here. Hi, thanks, Rachel. Glad to be here. We're going to talk about a paper that you're working on that looks at the effects of the Affordable Care Act through the lens of what's been going on in California. So could you first of all tell a little bit about what you studied there? Yeah, so uh, obviously the Affordable Care Act is this major legislation that's been passed recently, and and there's been a lot of work that's shown that the Affordable Care Act has increased insurance coverage in the U.S., but there's not been that much rigorous work that's been that's shown us the effects of this insurance coverage increase. So we don't know if people are utilizing more healthcare now. We don't know if it's improved their health outcomes, and we don't know if it's actually improved efficiency in the system, which is actually one of my main research interests. So that's what we try to answer in this particular project, and. We use this particular research design that's known as regression discontinuity, and simply what it means is um, we 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 take people who are very close to a particular age threshold, let's say 21 years of age, and we look at people on either side of this age threshold. Now, without going into the details of this, people who are below 21 um, had access to Medicaid coverage even before the Affordable Care Act, whereas people who are just over 21 for whatever reason, they aged out of Medicaid. And so they lost Medicaid coverage, not because of any other reason, but just because of the way the Medicaid rules were set up. But with the Affordable Care Act, this false discontinuity was eliminated. And so this gives us a nice, neat little experiment where people suddenly have, uh, who are over the age of 21, now suddenly have access to Medicaid because of the Affordable Care Act. And so this allows us to look at uh, the, the answer this question of what happens when people suddenly get access to insurance coverage. Now, are these people covered by that would be say, the people that we describe as being covered by the Medicaid expansion? Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Now, what happened? So, what happened to them when right. they got this coverage? Yeah. So, um, I mean, there's a, there's a variety of things that we look at, but uh, let me just focus on three particular aspects that I think are very key. One. We find that while the Medicaid expansion is indeed very large, so for example, if you just focus on people who are in this this age band of 21 to 23 that we looked at, their uh, the the share of people in that age group that who are covered by Medicaid it goes up by about 20 percentage points. So it's a very large increase. But what we also find is that the the decrease in uninsurance, which was the main goal of the Affordable Care Act, is not of the same magnitude. And the reason for that is that some of these people who are gaining Medicaid coverage were earlier covered by other forms of insurance coverage. So in this case, particularly, we we find that Medicaid coverage is going towards covering people who were originally covered by county indigent programs. So it's basically county tax dollars are now being replaced by federal tax dollars. And, and and this is pretty large. So in terms of the magnitude, about 40% of the Medicaid expansion is going towards replacing county indigent insurance. So it's not people that didn't have insurance. It's more about shifting, I guess, shifting the, shifting the onus onto the federal government as opposed to the county government or the local government. Right. So, and, and you know, in, so in, in sort of the... 
the lingo this is this is uh, this is known as crowding out of insurance coverage and and basically the idea is that while taxpayers are spending $100 to increase medicaid insurance what we're getting is only about $40 worth of actual decrease in uninsurance which was the goal of the Insur- uh, affordable care act so that's that's one takeaway uh, a second takeaway is that we see a fairly robust change in where people are getting their healthcare and we take this as a sign that once people gain insurance coverage they're more likely to choose private hospitals now private hospitals are tend to have higher quality metrics and so we take this as a sign that once people have choices they tend to choose better quality hospitals and it's not something that's driven by distance it's not something that's driven by whether these hospitals are part of a particular chain or something of that sort it it really is correlated mainly with ownership and and performance on different quality measures so that's a good sign because that suggests that people are now going to move towards higher quality hospitals and the third thing that we try to look at is whether this has actually resulted in improvement in health outcomes for patients because that's in many ways the bottom line that we're interested in right so these people previously did not have access to healthcare mm-hmm. we're hoping now that they do um, it'll 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 improve their lives So on that front we don't actually find robust evidence of improvement in quality of uh, health and and let me be more specific so we're looking at for example mortality um or we're looking at the share of hospitalizations that were potentially avoidable and on both of these metrics we don't find robust effects of improve, uh, robust improvements but we do find some suggestive improvements and i think the story really over there is that a we might only have uh, short term effects right now because we only have 2 years of data post the expansions mm-hmm. so it's pro- it's it's possible that in the long term some of these effects will become more visible in the data and b these effects are probably not large enough right now uh, and so for that reason they're pretty noisy and so we can't reject the null of no effect So we can't really figure out like if it's because of this or there's some other reason why we're seeing this. Right, exactly. Or 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 maybe so I think we're fairly confident that that this is the only large change that happened around this time. Um what we're not sure of is are the average effects large enough that we can actually catch them in only 2 years worth of post ACA data. And we're hoping so we're actually still continuing to collect data and we're hoping that as we get more uh more years of data we'll actually be able to carefully test these hypotheses now are these people with that they are covered by medicaid when they were under 21 because they had medical conditions that made them eligible or people that were covered because of income or both so so disability was definitely one reason why some people were were covered by medicaid but that's not only for people below 21 so on either side of that age threshold if you were disabled you would get medicaid mm-hmm. coverage the main difference really is between people who had kids and who did not have kids so if you were older than 21 and you were a childless adult um you couldn't have medicaid just because of income mm-hmm. what the aca did is it made all of these rules much more simple and logical so now regardless of your age as long as you are below certain income threshold you're eligible for medicaid which actually frankly makes a lot more sense it's just that it gives us a nice neat little experiment that we can use uh, to look at the effects of insurance coverage so what you're saying is it's not that the effect does not have anything to do with the fact that maybe this is a medically fragile population because it's not those people that were gaining it because of the ACA it's people that had low incomes and didn't have children exactly and now so what can both policymakers because the ACA continues to be a topic of discussion or what to do about it yeah. but also healthcare 
people in the healthcare industry, what can they, what can they take from this research? Right. So I think there are several implications of this. So one, so we always knew that the ACA is a massive redistribution exercise, right? So redistributing from healthy towards the sick, redistributing from the rich to the poor. But what we're finding here is that it's also a redistribution in terms of who's paying for these uh, costs, right? So we're finding that local tax dollars are now being replaced with federal tax dollars. And so it'll be interesting to see what's happening with those local tax dollars. Are they going and doing something else? For example, you might find improvements in local amenities or services provided by these governments, for example, on education or, or, or other kinds of services that local governments generally provide. That's one. Two, I think we're asking somewhat of a provocative question because in in when you read the popular media, it's almost taken as a given that expanding insurance coverage is a good. And while that makes sense intuitively, in the economics literature, it hasn't really shown up in the data in, in very well, carefully designed studies. And we're not finding robust evidence in our study as well. So I think it's a little bit of a provocative question because we're trying to ask, is it really the case that expanding insurance coverage for these young adults uh, did it actually do anything to improve their quality of care and, and health outcomes? Or was it the case that these people in general are pretty healthy? And so when you expand insurance coverage for them, they actually tend to use it for things that don't show up in mortality, you know, avoidable care, those kind of quality metrics that we have. Um, so, so that's... I hope that it actually spurs other people to look at this also. Because we found in the past when Medicaid was expanded for kids, it was greatly beneficial. And there's a lot of robust evidence that when you expand Medicaid for poor kids, it, it leads to improvement in education outcomes. It leads to improvement in, in labor outcomes over the long term as well. But we're finding that for young adults, that's not the case. Now, like I said, you know, it's still early days. And so you might find that over the next five years, things can change. Uh, but I think it's it's reasonable to at least examine the evidence and see uh, what what kind of bang we're getting for this buck. The third thing that I think is interesting to look at, which I didn't actually mention earlier, is when we pe when people talk about the value of the Medicaid program for people for consumers, we generally think of it only in terms of oh you know people who had who are who are poor now they have access to healthcare. But even regardless of anything, the fact that we find people changing their providers once they have access to insurance coverage, that's a very powerful um, that's a very powerful endorsement of the Medicaid program because what that suggests is that people know which providers are better quality. It's only that they did not have access to those providers because they lacked insurance coverage. So even if we don't find improvements in health outcomes, the fact that people are now able to choose better providers, better hospitals, better physicians, in itself, that's a source of value. And when you look at, when people try to quantify the benefits of Medicaid, this is actually a source of value that's not really talked about at all. Uh, so I think that's something that, in fact, in our follow-up work to this, we're actually hoping to actually put a dollar value on this. How much do people value being able to go to, let's say, a Stanford hospital versus some local county hospital, for example? Now, other than, so you mentioned that particular line of it for what's next. So there are other things that are next for this research? Yeah, so... So there's a couple of things. One, and this is not specific to this particular project, but it's it's like a pet it's a pet peeve of mine, is that we don't really have great health outcomes um, that we can look at in the economics literature. So in general, we focus on very very rare outcomes like mortality or readmission, and that's what we've done in this study as well. But 
these things are typically not very sensitive. For example, when you look at young people, right? Young people don't die very often. They also don't get readmitted very often. So when you want to look at improvements in quality of care and how that shows up in health outcomes, one thing that we're hoping to do now is to move away from these super rare outcomes like mortality and readmission towards something that's a bit more sensitive. For example, spending relative to their sickness level in the distribution. So that's one thing that we're trying to do. And then revisit these results using our new and hopefully improved metrics. The second thing we want to do is we want to move beyond just health outcomes. So the value of insurance could be not just in terms of health, but it could be in terms of just happiness. It could be in terms of financial well-being of these beneficiaries. For example, now they might have more disposable income or they might have less variance in income or less variance in wealth because they have insurance coverage. And that should be factored in when you look at the benefits of the Affordable Care Act because that improves consumer utility. So we have a follow-up project where we have some survey evidence on on just, uh, you know, where people were asked about happiness and well-being and actually fairly disaggregated level. And so we want to understand whether people are now feeling happier and whether they, they have just self-stated improvements in consumer well-being, because that could also be an important value of the Affordable Care Act. Adol, thanks for so much for being with us today. Thanks. You can find all of Knowledge at Wharton's podcasts on our website, knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. You can also find us on iTunes. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.